0: Uh, of the children so we keep asking the lord to let us do the work and he keeps letting us so we're thankful let's take a moment for silent prayer make sure we're in fellowship with god as we open to the filling of the spirit for children in ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 tonight let's pray Heavenly Father, you've promised us that if we would draw near to you, you would draw near to us. You've commanded us through your scriptures not to neglect our so great salvation. And the Apostle Peter commanded that we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, Paul promises that, or Paul prays that you would cause the Thessalonians' love to increase and abound still more and more. Father, these are all our desires. If we delight ourselves in you, you will give us the desire of our hearts. Father, if our delight is you, then you're what we want. Help us know you tonight as our beloved Father, to know your mind, so that we can obey you. We can obey your Son. We can walk worthy of our calling as we consider what is best for our children. pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you could put a caption on the photograph, if you could say, What's the, the cub, the lion cub, thinking or saying, and you, you humanize it, you imagine what that face, fa- facial expression is for a human child, you would say, There's something going on here that isn't quite right. Kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth. Like, I think that that lion cub with his little downturned mouth his little, I almost see his lips start to curl. If I humanize this and say, if, if humans are looking at each other this way, that baby's about to say something stupid. <laughs> and that, that papa lion is about to let him know it. You can see his nose wrinkled up a little bit. Now, of course, it's, it's animals. There's probably nothing to that. But if you again, if you pers- personify these lions as humans, um, but they are beautiful. We're talking about spirit-filled childhood again in Ephesians chapter 6. And this is the benefit of not picking a verse out of Scripture and just saying, let's have a homily or a devotional on children obeying their parents and the Lord for this is right. But putting it in its context, why does Paul talk about children obeying their parents and this summary command that the children must learn and abide by? It's because Paul is teaching the consequence of the time in which we live where the one new man in Christ from chapter 3 who's saved by grace through faith in chapter 2 has the Holy Spirit in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and the Spirit of God is in you to fill you. So we're commanded in Ephesians 5.15 Therefore be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The command to understand the will of the Lord. I do not believe that when Paul says understand the will of the Lord, that he means something that God hasn't revealed to us in the Bible. I don't think he means the secrets of God's special purpose for you that you have to unlock by intuition or tarrying or fasting or uh, pray until you feel peace or something i don't think he's talking about that at all he's saying get with the program god has revealed his will to us so get to know it so that you're stabilized don't be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is so we're careful to pay attention to what he said you know what he wants because of what he said how do you know what someone wants Well, a person that is less successful at communication than you and me, a person that, well, I'm sorry, that's less successful than the Lord, someone like you and me, will often assume that the other person knows what we're thinking. You ever have that experience? What's wrong? Well, you didn't do the thing that I thought you were going to do. Did you ask me to? No. Well, why are you upset? Because I thought you just knew that that's what I wanted we didn't communicate that's not what God's playing here at all knowing what the will of the Lord is is knowing what he said and what he wants he's a wonderful communicator and in fact that's the basis for all relationships God's spoken to us through his word we speak to him in our prayers that's your spiritual life so he says don't waste your life don't get drunk with wine in which is dissipation but be filled by the spirit with the result of speaking and so forth So we're talking about the nature of the Holy Spirit-filled believer's experience. Grammatically, the Apostle Paul is saying there are certain results that you should expect that will be the manifestation of this influential work of the Holy Spirit using the Word of God in you. When the Word of God richly dwells within me, I have the same effects in Colossians 3.16 as when the Holy Spirit fills me in Ephesians 5.18, because what he fills me with is the word of Christ richly dwelling within me. That's why we spend so much time. That's why it's been for 2,000 years the focus of the church to pay close attention to the word of God. So when Paul gets to children obeying their parents in Ephesians 6, He's talking about the outcome of these Christian children with the third person of the Trinity resident in their hearts forever to indwell them for the purpose of filling them with the content of God's Word in, a, in an, an ongoing, rich fellowship rapport called the filling of the Holy Spirit so that they're able to make the choices that go with the character of Christ and obey Him. So we're talking about the richness of the Spirit-filled life as it relates to all household relationships. I've said several times these are the most difficult relationships because you're closest to these people in the household, and therefore you have the most occasion to offend one another with your sinfulness. And so now we're to parents and children. Remember, every one of these household relationships is under submit one to another in the fear of Christ in verse 21. The result of the filling of the Spirit is how we treat one another in submission one to another. And then, children. In every one of the household relationships, the lower authority is addressed first because their submission is a direct submission to authority. The person with higher authority, like husbands, like parents, like masters, or bosses, management, in, a, in, in an economic situation, understand. The higher authority person submits in a totally different sense than the person that's under their authority. He serves. He puts himself out for. He, he's, he's the Lord, but he is under them in terms of providing for their needs and disregarding his own comforts or glory. Again, the pattern of this, um, probably said it 15 times but it'd be worthy for you to be able to i don't, I don't want you to uh to not forget i want you not to be able to forget jesus is your paradigm he's the lord of all yet he puts the towel and acts as the slave in the household in john chapter 13 it's a picture of exactly what paul is talking about here in other words parents submit to their children not by putting themselves under their child's authority. That's insane. There is no child's authority over their parents. But in terms of providing what parents must provide if their children are going to to be what they need to be, which means that you sacrifice your own comforts, preferences, desires, all those considerations in the interest of God's will, His revealed will for the children. In fact, helping them obey us I'm going to suggest tonight is a, it turns out to be a sacrifice. It's a sacrificial labor of love on our part. It hurts to train them to do this. It's much easier not to train them to obey us. In fact, it's our cultural norm today. You tell people children should obey their parents, and they start saying, is that, you mean like a dog obedience, like obedience training for animals, really? No. Like, much more importantly, who cares if a dog obeys? We're talking about God's image bearer these people are supposed to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ and you're setting them up to do that for their whole lives with how we train them so this is the the discussion and so tonight I want to push some of the implications of what Paul says in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6 and I've beaten my spirituality paradigm my Christian spirituality idea to death so I want to talk just, let's just go straight to the children in one. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will go well with you, and you will be long-lived on the earth. Long-lived on the earth. And I pointed out last time, if you remember, we saw how what Paul is teaching there, um, is uh, taken from Genesis or uh, Exodus, chapter um, twenty, verse twelve. But Paul doesn't quote the whole commandment. He doesn't. Com- he doesn't quote the part about the good earth that the Lord is giving you. He co- he just quotes that you live long on the earth, not the part that the Lord is giving to you. And I think that's significant because Paul is using this portion of God's covenant. Instructions for Israel, to great effect for the benefit of the church. And the creation order of God's authority structures continues; it abides, and uh, we we have a universal privilege and opportunity here. So when we when we talk about these awesome responsibilities, let me just. Zoom in on verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey. I think the most important word, as we saw last time, is the word obey. Hupakuo, to obey. Submit is a different word, hupotasso. This is hupakuo. They both mean under. But one is to listen under, and the other is to place under. And those are the etymologies. I don't believe that you get the author's meaning from the origin of the word ever in any place in Scripture. I think the author's meaning is how the word is used in the time in which he uses it, because he's a human author using language, and that's how God reveals, through human language that he created us to use. And so this word is your stock word for obedience, what we think it means when we say obey someone. Somebody has the right to say, and then the other person under their authority has the responsibility then to obey them. That's what it means. And I think the word in the Lord is the second most important part. In curio, I think it means, I think it's, it's Pauline, it's a, it's a use of this very flexible prepositional phrase in the Lord to mean as unto the Lord. I think this is how you would say for the Lord's sake. Doesn't mean that they're Christians. It means that you and the Lord need to obey your parents and the power he provides for his sake, that it's not about your parents, it's about them. It's about the Lord. And then the reason why, the explanation, explanatory conjunction, gar, used to support, to bolster the, the, the command. Now, this is very interesting to me. Have you ever heard someone say, you don't tell kids why, you just tell them what? Right? You don't tell them why you make the decisions you make. You just tell them what they need to do, and they need to learn that. And there's some truth in that, because the, the, the name of the game is obey. It isn't reason through and then decide if you think the command is worthy. No, it's obey the command. That's what the children need to do because they're learning to submit to God. Obey your parents and the Lord. It's for His sake. But notice that this stop command for how to train children or that we should train children gives you an explanation why you do it. <laughs> it gives you two explanations why. The first one is that God judges it as dikaios, righteous. It is the righteous response to righteous creator, to the God that we serve. It is righteous. Now, that's not a quote of the Old Testament. That's New Testament law of Christ. That's what Jesus is commanding through the Apostle Paul, for this is righteous. But there's more. There's more when you want to think through why. And he pulls from, again, Exodus 20, chapter 20. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, which is so that it will go well with you and you'll live long on the earth. Second reason why you have to, little children need to learn to do this is not just because God says it's righteous, but because that means there's a favorable outcome for them. So it's both, it's both things. Well, I think we should be motivated merely by our love for Jesus and just do what he says for his sake because he thinks it's right. Well, that's fine. I'm not motivated by the notion of eternal rewards. I just love Jesus. Well, wait a second. The Bible presents the motivation of reward all through. That when you do things because you love him, he rewards it. And he sets that forth that there's a coming judgment as motivation for us to serve him so we should be thrilled that we love him and that always goes well with us and it equals life long life you live long on the earth <clears throat> and it isn't live it says you will be long long time on the earth literally I've, that's this her, here is amy the, you will be long on the earth so even my i don't really like my own translation as much All right, that's an ugly screen back there. I want to talk about, we talked about with the husbands and wives, the benefits of a wife and loving your wife. What are the benefits of marriage? What are the benefits of obedience for children? Have you ever thought about that? We just read two of them. Jesus Christ, God the Father, the, the Spirit, the, all, all three persons who share one essence, which includes God's righteousness, which declares righteous when we obey our parents as little children. Um, the higher authority makes the declaration that they have the right to make. The person under that authority obeys that. God says righteous. That, that accords with his divine order, his character so there's one benefit we've said long life on the earth it's kind of obvious we threaten our children with this all the time i think it's i think you should we want you to live a long time so you have to learn to submit to duly constituted authority i say these words in my family all the time we want you to live a long life so you have to learn to submit to duly constituted authority where did the authority come from all authority proceeds from god if I tell you what you're supposed to do and you're under my authority, then you have to see that as you're now your responsibility to the Lord, okay, for your service to Him. It's not about me. It's about Him. I, do, I better be doing what I'm doing for His sake. I better make my decision and make my commandment based on what God has said, and then they need to obey what I've said for His sake also, and that's Christian household. That's the idea. But what are the benefits? Some benefits of obedience for children. First of all, we said the ultimate is that God says this is righteous. Do you know of any other absolutely certain way for your children to, to in their day-to-day, I mean, moment-by-moment life, to say what I'm doing is right before God, that you're absolutely certain it's right? Think about the benefit there. You can say, no, pastor, when we trust him, he declares us righteous. Whether we're an unbeliever, we trust him for the first time, or whether we continue to trust him, the faith that man gives to God is always declared chaos, de justified, righteous. It's always in accord with his perfect standard, his perfect standard of his character. So um, I think that's of tremendous benefit, but it sounds kind of forensic, Forensic is uh, an abstract concept, isn't it? Forensic, it's, you know, it's, there's a standard. That, is it just a principle that we say is right? Interestingly, the Hebrew Scriptures are, are begun with a preamble to a law that's a forensic set of instructions for a people to abide by a forensic concept. And that's how God initializes His revelation to man but but teach the kids righteousness i mean that's what you're constantly doing and they learn that but you've got to you got you got that's a long a, a long process to train that god also says it extends their lives <clears throat> and um, we want to bless our kids um In our civilization, it seems to me like we um, are—we're kind of divided. We're kind of—we're double-minded about how we treat children. Like, for example, we can't. Our government cannot vote to 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 require physicians to provide life-saving, life-preserving care for babies born through botched abortions. We just had this in our our political process. I don't know if you're watching the news. Some of you might have just said, I can't watch anymore. But we we just had this thing where they cannot say if a baby's born alive, they have to give it life care, uh, life-saving care uh, when they abort a baby and it lives. So now we're exposing infants as a matter of law. And it's legally protected to expose infants. The Assyrians didn't do that. Romans did it, but the Assyrians, these are the Comanches of the Old Testament, the most wicked people uh, of, the, of the Old Testament, arguably, and they didn't do that. So on the one hand, we, have that, we don't care about our children at all. We do not protect them at all, at one level. As a society, as a matter of, of our legal code, it's insane. I think we're living in a, an insane time. The... Um, Standard of proof and the burden of proof and so forth to convict children, child molesters, for example, is it's so hard to get a conviction and get justice because of our fear of convicting an innocent person. That we're so scared of violating innocent until proven guilty that we really have standards of proof that are almost impossible to manage with sexual crimes. And so we will see child after child after child destroyed. And we will not destroy the one that destroys the child. And we'll say, well, you know, we don't believe in capital punishment because it's cruel and unusual. And yet, we're destroying people's lives sexually by raping their innocence. And we, as a civilization, we do not actually care about that. We don't prohibited in fact you know it's well criminal justice theory says that um, capital punishment and other harsh uh, punishments are not deterrents for future crime everyone who is executed by the state according to genesis chapter 9 before there was ever a mount sinai when god said if you destroy the image of god then you're going to be destroyed by god's image if you destroy a man then by man your blood will be shed that's god's establishment human government you can look up in genesis 9 6 but capital punishment is supposedly not a deterrent for future crime. I want to submit to you. You guys know that this is funny, right? Every person who's executed for murder or other destruction of God's image bearer. Notice how I'm, I'm going to expand that beyond simple homicide to uh, sexual molestation of children. I, I'm comfortable with that. Everyone that does that will never do it again. And that's a deterrent to that person doing it again. Now, wow, you're just talking about the one person that... Wait a second. Let's do the numbers on how many repeat offenders we have of these types of crimes. Do the numbers. I just wiped out all the repeat offenders. And I think, uh, actually, people don't do certain things because they know there are stiffer penalties for it. My point is is God says, no, it is deterrent, and you have to remove the wickedness from you. And I think that... um, we don't really, as a civilization, care about the protection of children. We will not close this border, and we have two competing cultures that are absolutely in, uh, not, not incompatible. When you have a, com- a combination of two incompatible cultures, historically you have war. And I'm not advocating for war. I'm just saying you have incompatible cultures. The, sexual, the age of sexual consent in the, most states in Mexico is 12 years old. Fifty-year-old men with twelve-year-old girls is considered consensual sex in that culture by those by those laws. That's an incompatible culture to to the way I think of the normal decency. It's incompatible. It's it's evil. But see, that's a different way. Well, that's you know, who am I to judge? I'm here to say that's not compatible. That's an, that's a, a different morality. So, well, but they're Catholic and they know that you're supposed to wait. Do they? Is that the norm? Is that what happens in any culture? So my point, I'm just pointing out examples. Don't get all all upset with me. I'm just saying, we do not actually care as the way our laws are set up about the protection of children. The coup de grace on this one that really drove me nuts back, back in... 2008, Well Senator Clinton was a big advocate of the, human, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of a Child, United Nations Human Rights Council Declaration on the Rights of a Child, which would give parental authority and privileges to the state or to the United Nations over parents, because after all, it takes a village. And, see, because it's better to, to more and more centralize these kinds of things than trust parents that, that God's given the kids. And so the state, which is so evil and corrupt, is now going to be responsible for what I can and will and don't, don't do in terms of the training of my children. And I am ready to go to war at that point. I, I will not give my children to the state or into an international body. See what I mean? So, like, now I am getting upset. But we don't care about kids. We're going to give them to the UN. The UN is, is the most corrupt organization in the world. Okay, so I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying this is what these people that are our leaders are, you know, they're, they, they're savvy. They know what, what, what's best. Um, on the other hand, we spoil our kids and give them whatever we want, whatever they want. Just leave me alone. I need some me time. Go watch TV. I need some me time. Can't you go play a game? No, I've played all my games. Well, let's go drop another 50 bucks on another game so I can get some more me time. And so we, we give the kids what they want and we lavish them with activities and things that, that, that that's what they need. And I think we're on the one hand, we disregard their safety and protection and provision legally in these ways I've illustrated and on the other hand we in our households we spoil them to help them have fun because the greatest goal in life is to have fun right it's just just fun ask ask any kid what do you really want out of your day they'll give you five things and all five fit under fun and none of them are work none of them are get done the thing that needs to be done for the day because they're kids and they haven't been taught yet. They haven't learned yet. Life hasn't happened for them enough yet for them to see that that's where the real fun is and a job well done. And so in our culture, we have this crazy idea that what the kids need is baseball. What they need is the little things that they're playing with each other at school, their little trading cards or their little junk or or whatever. What they need is access to the latest fun thing because after all, they need to have fun. And that's what they need. And you've got to have them, you know, get some recreation. And after recreation, let's make sure they're getting some exercise. And then we should, should take a break for a snack and then have some play. And, and, the, and nobody learns to work. And I'm not just crying at you about broken civilization. I'm saying what Paul is talking about here, about what the kids actually need, is such a foreign concept to what we tend to think the kids need, what we tend to go for to give them. And, of course, everyone here is like, yeah, you're articulating what I think. Pastor Dave, you've got my worldview down. Thank you. I hope you feel that way. If you're not, if you're like, oh, I never thought about this. Fun is not the main goal of childhood. Today, that's, that's the cultural norm. that In America today, the goal of childhood is the kids have fun. Dave, you've got to relax about this. Just chill out a little bit. Just, I mean, please, could we just take a break? I mean, it's not like they're, they're in college yet. Why do kids go to college? to have experiences. And if they can graduate, to get $100,000 on day one. That's why you go to college, except that's not what happens. But that's the dream. That's the idea. That's the, 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 the myth. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. You have $100,000 in debt. You may have a good job. If you get a, did a good job, you got a good degree, and you interned to, to make sure you lined up a good job. But the, the, what I'm trying to get to here is we're wasting time. We're spinning our wheels, chasing a, a, a goddess, a, a false goddess I call fun, at the expense of the actual needs of our kids. So in our households, we're giving them and giving them and giving them, but we're just like the state. We're not caring about what they really need. And that's, that's really a disintegration, a point of disintegration um, in our civilization. Godlessness is an acid, and it has many ways that it eats at the core of your people. So I wanted to harangue you about these things a little bit and kind of summarize where our people are on this. And so I think the application of children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is righteous because it'll give you a long life. I think that is more applicable to everyday adjustment of a biblical worldview than we might think when we just read through that. The only thing he says about kids is they need to obey their parents. In other words, life just got really simple. You could probably get rid of most of the stuff you could probably get rid of most of the things that, that you've birthdayed them and Christmas them and, and given them all the junk and probably just start over with, you've got a basic responsibility in life and it's everything. It's everything. I'm going to give you the present every day of your life while you're with me that is going to set you up for eternity and that you need to obey me and I need to be, be directing you in the way that you need to go a lot of what the book of proverbs is about in terms of its presentation of wisdom is the concept of folly the opposite of wisdom wisdom in the um, in solomon's writing is um, the skill to do something hokuma is always skill and when solomon talks about it in the book of proverbs it's the skill to walk before god in a way that pleases him That's why there's a moral component. People say, oh, no, it's just common sense. You know, a gentle word turns away wrath. When there's a fight, you just say something nice, and it soothes things down. Well, there is common sense to it, but it's not just because that's how it works. It's not utilitarian. It's because behind it working is God is there, and He wants you to say a gentle word. And there's a moral side to this. It's not just, hey, this works. Utilitarianism is what I'm trying to say. So wisdom is the skill not only to just get along in life because that's how things work, but to get along in God's world because that's how he has arranged them. So there's a path of righteousness and all through Proverbs that you're walking through. And the idea of folly, it sounds to us, when you first introduce the concept of folly or foolishness, as you know it's just an immature state that the kids grow out of but if you read proverbs on folly do you know what it does to you what does folly do what's the ultimate result of folly if you walk down that path to its conclusion where does it take you it's death it's destruction follies now nah, you know they're just kids you can't do they're just kids when there's foolishness and we're seeing the opposite of wisdom. We're supposed to say, they're walking toward death. And you and you, you have to see, now take it in stride. All kids are walking toward death. Okay, they are. But let's tell it like it is: they're walking toward death. And and wisdom comes along and says, Hey, wisdom, Lady Wisdom, cries out, come back. Think. That's the big one, right? Think. But I feel like. Stop it. Think. The skill to live your life is to think what God wants you to think. Let your feelings follow your thoughts. So I think one of the great benefits of obeying your parents is that you parents better be wise in what you instruct your children so that if they're obeying you, they're on the path of wisdom, on righteousness. They don't turn, as Solomon tells his sons, don't turn to the left or to the right, but they walk straight according to the Lord's expectations, to his will to his revealed instruction so this is protection against folly and that's one reason i believe that obeying your parents if they're teaching you righteousness preserves you on the earth i also think that in the in doing this you're preparing them for life this is just an obvious thing about when you say obey your parents they are learning the basic nature of creature creator experience the basic deal between us and God is that he tells us and then what we do is it whatever he said he says this is what I want and then we do it because he's the creator and I'm the creature and God makes that point very very dramatically to Job that's right around Job chapter 38 isn't it God starts to pepper Job with questions where were you and the point is I'm the creator I'm the one who made everything. I'm the prior context to all that physically exists. And that's the argument in Job 38 and following. God asks Job, where were you? If you get a different answer in Job or Genesis, then you've probably misread it. I say probably, you've dogmatically you've misread it. But you're preparing this child for that basic nature of relationship. That's why children obey your parents in the Lord. You're learning, you're teaching them, little boy you're doing this like I'm telling you to do this for God. You're going to obey me in the Lord. Not because me. Have you seen Daddy mess up? Yes. Is Daddy perfect? No. Is Daddy right in what he's saying right now? Yes. And why do you need to obey me? Because I'm a good person? No. But because God is good and he loves you and he wants you to do that. And you might preach that little sermonette 50 times in a week. That's 10 per kid in my case, right? You're, like, you're all like, well, Dave, you might teach that 50 times in a week. But that's, that's what we're doing. That's the rationale. This is not about us getting our propers from our children. But they better give us our proper respect because we want them to live a long time, because it's righteous in God's eyes, because that's the basic nature of the creation order. And so they need to learn the fear of God. That's if we don't teach them. If we don't insist that they learn this, then they don't get that basic training. Have you ever dealt with someone that wasn't trained, that wasn't raised, reared by parents that said this is the deal, you have to learn the deal? You know what? They've got a serious problem with authority all their lives until God, our beloved Father, does it a harder way that is not his stated design. And we pray. I've got people on my list that I'm praying for. I hope you do too. I hope you're actually praying for people in your life who clearly were never trained to understand authority. Civilization, culturally, our, our people seem to have a better grasp on this right around 1942, 41, 42, than we did around 1965. I'm talking about. There were people that dodged the draft in the '40s, but it was something no one talked about, and you you tried to keep that on the down low. See the the, the kids. It's teen, It's by the way, it's teenagers. You're asking teenagers to go be paratroopers. You're asking teenagers to go run, run, and boots and and shoot and all the things that, that they have to do. That's the horror of war. Is that our youngest and you know, they are bleeding out their lives for, for our freedom. It's, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. In a fallen world, it is the, it is the norm, but it's awful. But our, our people, my grandpa, both my grandfathers, they knew they were going to war on Pearl Harbor Day. And they knew pretty soon after that that they were going to have to pick a service before a service picked them. And so both of them. My, my, uh, my dad's father uh, was a mechanic in the army, and when it, he had an opportunity to switch over to the air, For- air force, um, he, he took it and it became a bombardier's mate on a B-17. And I think he regretted that. <laughs> you watch the movie Twelve O'Clock High. It kind of presents that was a horrible thing to do, but he did it. You know, all, all my life, I heard about how we were supposed to do 20 missions and go home, and we had to do 40 missions and go home, but we were supposed to do 20 missions. And uh, <laughs> this big, big target flying slowly over Germany, uh, bombing it. So uh, my, my mom's dad um, saw two options. When he went in, he went and volunteered because the draft was coming. And, um, and he said, uh, they wanted us to do this new thing about jumping out of airplanes, and I knew I did not want to do that. So I volunteered for armor. And I, so he was, a, he was a tank destroyer. He was a tank, a fully tracked vehicle uh, guy that could shoot at Tiger tanks. Um, but he was on the ground. He was in the Battle of the Bulge, actually, which is, I wish I could have gotten more out of him about that um, when I had the opportunity. But um, anyway, um, the, 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 that generation just said, okay, we're going to have to go. And when the government said, you're going to have to go, you know what they said? We know. And there were people, there was a percentage of the people that were rebellious and didn't want to do it, and they had to be forced. But it was a totally different civilization. By the time their kids were asked, well, gently asked, y'all are going? They said, no, we don't believe in this. No, we don't want to go. Absolutely not. And so duly constituted higher authority said, you're going. And then the lower subordinate authority, subordinate said, no, we're not going. And we lost that were not at the ted offensive we won the Tet offensive we lost it because of our attitude as a civilization we what we lost the whole thing and and we we could talk about the relative merits of the politics and all that stuff but that's not that's not the job of the person who is being asked to go you're not that elected official you need to go and so we could argue all day about a duly constituted higher authority my point is that um We're going to be very countercultural if we teach our kids that somebody delegated with authority from God needs to be obeyed. But that should be the first thing our children learn about life because we are their world. You know, that's the way God made you as parents. You're the world of your little kids. And some of you are like, I don't have little kids. This doesn't apply to me. Hey, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you can certainly encourage those around you, and they need it. We need your encouragement. We need your prayers. The children need it. All you aunts, that's aunts where I'm from, all you aunts and uncles and grandparents that are surrogates for my family, listen carefully. The the little children have their parents as their world because they're about to go out into a world before we think they're ready. And they need to negotiate it with wisdom and grace in a way that honors God. And the only hope they have to do that, as far as we know, is the, Well, the only hope, what God has equipped them with is us to set them up for that. And the first thing you've got to figure out is who's in charge. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is righteous. And so this is, this is their spiritual life. This is how they walk by the Spirit. This is how they go in, uh, in, in a spiritual frame, in the power of the Holy Spirit to be pleasing to God. They obey their parents. It's preparation for life, and I think that's kind of common sense. But more importantly, I believe it's preparation for eternity. This to me is the most important reason for any of the commands in the New Testament. Any of the commands in the New Testament are not primarily about whether I feel like it now. It doesn't say if you feel like loving your wife, love your wife. It doesn't say wives, uh, submit to your husbands um, if you feel like it. It says do it. Now, what's the deal here? there is coming an evaluation of our deeds done in the body whether good or bad and the evaluation in second corinthians 5 10 uh, 9 and 10 on whether it's good or bad at the judgment seat of christ the bama of christ that basis of judgment is good or bad and in context verse 9 it's whether it's pleasing to the lord jesus christ or not how will i know what is pleasing to him 5, 17. Ephesians 5.17, don't, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's told you what's pleasing. In Ephesians 6.1, it's children, obey your parents, in the Lord, for this is right. How can my kids in their day, how is my son, or your son or daughter, how is their day-to-day advancing, their experience and god's glory more importantly at the judgment seat of christ are they christians then that's where you start if they're not they need to become christians they need the holy spirit in them that's the gospel but if they have the holy spirit as little children they're supposed to be walking by the spirit in obedience to their parents for the lord's sake and that has that little choice to not eat that cookie that you said no to the cookie because you know there's a sugar issue with their immune system and it's flu season. You, you're thinking these thoughts. you think thinking sugar suppresses their immune system. They've already had so much sugar lately in the last, few, last couple hours. I don't want there to be more sugar. I haven't tested their blood, but I'm sure it's not as good as I'd like it to be in terms of blood sugar. So let's don't do that because we need to plus up that immune system. Let's have this instead. But they want that cookie. That is a spiritual moment in that child's life when you say no and from their own volition as they walk into dependence on the Holy Spirit based on the little bit of truth that they already know, that they know for the Lord's sake, I need to obey my mother not to eat that cookie. And they make that choice for that reason. They don't need to know, well, I have uh, an immune system that might be compromised by sugar. They don't need to know all that. I mean, they do Eventually. But right now, in the moment, they need to know the Lord is God. He gave me mommy and daddy. Mommy said no, and for his sake, I will say no to myself. And they learned to restrain their lusts. They learned to have self-control. And they made a choice that will, pro- I, I'm certain, not probably, at least certainly, it'll echo for eternity at the judgment seat of Christ because you receive recompense for whatever you've done in the body, whether good or bad. So when, now, how do I get all this this spiritual life? This is the Holy Spirit empowering the child not to eat the cookie. Where did I get it? I'm just reading the Bible in context. The command is walk by the, or be filled by the Spirit in 518. The results are 519 through 21. Submit to one another in 21 is then all the household code. Wives to husbands, husbands and wives. Children to parents, parents and children. This is the result of the filling of the Spirit in a child's life that he obeys his parents that's what is happening in the passage and so that's what i always want to do see theology is great i love theology but theology that's divorced from the exegesis of scripture is cut flowers cut flowers are fine for a couple days but then they're dead and you could put them you could press them and put them in a scrapbook oh isn't that nice i remember back when he gave me that but that's not nearly as nice as a big, beautiful flower garden. That's The flowers are alive and thriving and growing in that fresh soil. See, the soil in my illustration is the Scriptures. And the theology of authority and obedience and so forth that we're talking about, that is growing right out of what Paul is saying here. So I would never want to make it just about, well, here's what we need to do to obey. What I'm doing tonight with this is an, is an attempt to apply what the benefits are what it why and how this works in your child's life i want you to think in terms of eternity when you think about the walk by the spirit and the effect of um, his work in your life through the word so this is true for little children what does a child's spiritual life look like he needs to keep short accounts with god when he commits personal sin he needs to confess his sins if he's a believer because he like you needs to have his feet washed when he gets them dirty along the way does he need to become saved again? No, he's already had a full bath, but he needs to wash his feet. That's John chapter 13. There's a partial cleansing for those that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to teach your kids to do that. But that's not all you need to teach them to do. You need to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded, as he says in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen 19 and 20. And so this is the big one that directly applies to them. You obey me. Go get in the car. Doesn't sound very spiritual but I feel like doing the thing that I'm doing right now and what I don't feel like doing is stopping that and going to get in the car. You're starting to feel like I could preach this all night, right? I have an endless supply of material. Illustration after illustration. This this message has been in preparation for at least 10 years. Now, go get in the car. I don't feel like it, but he said to. The Holy Spirit does his thing, somehow combining my consciousness with what he's already taught me. And I think, I know I'm supposed to. My conscience has been calibrated and now it pricks me. I need to obey. And I need to do it for his sake. And I even think maybe my little verse that I memorized. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And, and then there's this other thought that comes alongside that. And I want to be right. I want to obey my Savior. I want, I want him to say what I do is right. And that's more important to me than how I feel about playing this little thing I'm doing. And all this, I'm not saying that this is a long, drawn-out process. This happens instantly with someone that's practiced in this, that has this, this thought process, this rationale that's already in there. You don't even have, they never even think it through. It just all happens but, but I'm trying to, to slow down the process to show you all this motivation for why we do what we do is part of this spiritual life. So now all of a sudden, because God said, and because my dad said, now I am putting down what I felt like doing and in submission to God going to obey my father and get in the car. And I believe that that's one little victory that you will hear about later. It's an eternal consequence of glorifying God. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing in John 15, 5. And I think this is what he's talking about. We walk in dependence on God, the Holy Spirit. And so God is working in you both to want and to do his pleasure in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So we're preparing these children for their evaluation and their inheritance. Here's the big takeaway if I wanted to do like a one There it is. We deprive our children of these benefits when we don't train them to obey. They don't get this. I think that we are guilty as a civilization, in general, of child abuse by neglect. And it isn't neglect like you left them there in the house alone for 12 hours at a time. I'm talking about we haven't seen this as the essential nutrients of their spiritual development. We don't see it. See, that. We don't think when they disobey that this is about God and their eternal outcomes and the judgment seat of Christ. We don't think about that spiritual stuff. We think, no, they're not going to treat me that way. We think that's bad and and I I don't deserve that and and it it becomes about us very quickly. And that's that's a trap. It's not about us. Our household is supposed to be walking before God. And this is an instance where part of our household has said no. And that needs to be addressed. And I think that we are depraved as a civilization because we're deprived of the Word of God and our kids are anemic. They're starving to death spiritually. Now, some people will love this message because they feel like they're there because they've got to lock down. And for that person that thinks he's got this sorted out or she, I would say, watch it. Be careful thinking you stand lest you fall. Because it very well may be that in your personality, you just like being served. And you have them serving you. And that's not what Ephesians 6, 1-3 through 3 says. Children, serve your parents for their sake, for this is right. If you're the dictator who wants to be served, and your children are serving you, that's not what we're talking about at all. You are to be serving them as you put yourself out, to train them yet again to go through this and see it as the privilege that it is. Paul says that uh, it's wrong for, um, for children to take care of their parents. He tells the Corinthians it's wrong for the children to be providing for their parents when the parents want to take care of their kids by way of inheritance, he means. He doesn't mean it's, it's wrong to provide for their needs. He's saying that it's wrong that the parents are out of out of retirement resources and the kids are spending their wealth to, to provide for the parents that's backwards parents want to put by and leave a legacy of wealth for their children that's i, I forget the place in first corinthians but um i want to ask this question what about the inheritance issue this is a big thing when you talk about big picture with having kids a lot of us think i just need to get to the end If I make it to 75 with such and such dollars in the bank, then I can kind of glide. And that'll probably cover living expenses and we'll be set. That's good. I mean, you didn't burden your children with, uh, with your rent or heat or whatever. But that's probably not the goal you really want to have in terms of your financial legacy for your kids if you think about it. You don't want to leave them with, well, at least Dad didn't leave me with a credit card bill. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> right? You want to leave them with a legacy. You want to leave them with, uh, with, with something that becomes a seed that you've been building for your life, what's left, and they then grow that seed and then pass it down. And that's how the middle class got built out of the Reformation, truly. Middle class cr- cr- Crept up, crept up out of uh, the swamp of, of serfdom in Europe because of multi-generational wealth. And the destruction of that is the estate tax. Kill the multi-generational wealth so that we have a permanent underclass. Uh, it's evil, it's satanic, it's totally against the scriptures. The scriptures, if you watch, a lot of the stories are about who owns the land, who has the right to the land. Who's got the claim to this inhe- uh, ancestral uh, piece of, of property, of inheritance. But this concept of inheritance directly uh, applies to your spiritual and eternal outcomes. When you go to the slave code in Colossians 3.24, we're going to talk about masters and slaves after we spend some time on parents next time. But in the slave code, Paul directly connects your spiritual, your eternal inheritance with your eternal rewards by using an interesting phrase that I think is really important to understand how inheritance works spiritual inheritance doesn't mean that someone had to die and leave you a legacy this is from your heavenly father it means the possession that he he wants to capitalize you with for eternity and if you trace the word inheritance kleronamiya or kleronameo to inherit or the kleros the 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 share or the kler um the kleron there's another word that's the the, 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 the heir the person that inherits if you look at this i think it's pretty consistent in the new testament how this word is used it means something that god wants to give you as an eternal spiritual asset rewards echo this pretty closely i think paul ties it together in colossians 324 the reward of the inheritance i want my kids to when i die i want my kids to have something that they can pass to their kids and i don't mean grandpa's watch I'd like to see something build that they continue to build that, that that you know years from now they can say our family had a a, a legacy of savings and industry and uh, and so because we worked and they worked we have something to pass on and this is the family um, ethic I want financially I want that to be true I think it's a good goal to have but let's talk about what the Bible is really about spiritual wealth you can't put you can't. Have your lawyer read something to someone after you die. Here's your spiritual inheritance. And God doesn't have any grandchildren. It comes directly from God. I can't give it to my kids. I can just set them up to receive it. In Ephesians 1.14, the Apostle Paul identifies the Holy Spirit as a portion of your inheritance. Ephesians 1.14, it's, it's an interesting verse when you start looking for inheritance in the New Testament. What does he say? He gave us the spirit as a pledge of the inheritance. What's a pledge? It's a chip, it's a trinket, it's a it's an earnest. It's a hey there's more to come. Your mom gets the bag of Oreos, the box of the the little tray of Oreos and breaks the cellophane open. My mom never did this, but anyway, just imagine. Um open the Oreos, that's not healthy food, but it's delicious. So um so and and there's how many Oreos are in a standard size flat? Y'all don't know? Thank you, 60 Oreos. I pull one out, hand it to the kid, and then the whole bag of Oreos, the whole tray, goes in the cabinet, or in my case, in a safe. I have to lock it up physically. I'm not joking. or We just don't have it. <laughs> so... Um, that one little piece that represents the whole thing, that's that's the earnest, that's the pledge, that's the little beginning. I think of it like um, the way you capitalize a business, I think of it as seed money to begin on a project. You don't get anything, or God doesn't get anything out of you without the Holy Spirit working in you. And so the Holy Spirit is the beginning, the earnest of the inheritance. Because some things... That are called inheritance are inevitable, like your resurrection body, like the receiving of the Holy Spirit when you first believe. And some things are in question. And I think the reward of the inheritance is in question. I think some things God wants to give you, but you have to you have to walk, you have to serve Him, you have to um, be set up for a good outcome at the judgment seat of Christ. And it is grace works. It's a life of Christian work. And wow. not everybody seems to, to be interested in that. Most people seem not to be interested in that. But um, see, this is when you train your children to fear the Lord and to walk and obey Him in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're setting them up for that enjoyment of all the reward of the inheritance. And it becomes this lifetime expectation. Expectation. I think that is involved when we ask our children to obey us, we train them to obey us for the right reason, for God's sake. Heavenly Father, we need your grace to make us able to do this work, to train them to fear you, to walk worthy of their calling, to obey duly constituted authority. Father, it seems if they don't learn it from us, They're going to learn it the hard way in ways that are going to have long term consequences that are going to bring them grief and disappointment. But much more importantly than these financial and social outcomes, God is is their eternal standing with you at the judgment seat of Christ, how your son renders his evaluation of their life choices and how that echoes through all eternity to your glory because of your righteous judgment. But Father, let our children be glorifying to you in their obedience not despite their disobedience. We want our children to be vessels of mercy to bring you glory and honor forever and ever by the choices they make today. Help us take this seriously and see the spiritual component, the spiritual aspect of children obeying their parents in the Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.